All right, welcome in week five of the Fezzik Focus podcast. I'm AJ Hoffman, joined by the guest of honor, Steve Fezzik. Steve, how you doing, man? I am excellent, and we are, we'll call it a quarter of the way through man, the season, right? I got an email today from pregame.com that said, Steve Fezzik up 1 million units for the, for the season. It's like, I, I don't, that's an exaggeration, but it's a lot of units. For, what, 47 in, in football this year so far? I just track on all the sports, 73. So, but, but six, yeah, tracking above 60% NFL and college football, despite having the ill-fated Austin Eckler under prop on so, Monday Night Football, which didn't go well. So it's been a good month, you could say. Yes. That's yes, good for, good yes. for you, my man. That's good to hear cuz you know, I'm trying to follow a lot of what you're doing. Uh all right, let's get into some topics that you wanted to discuss today and of course, this podcast uh will be out before the dream preview. This isn't we're not going through game by game here. That's what we do on the dream preview. You'll hear that uh a little bit later. Whenever you hear this one, you'll hear that one next. So whenever you whenever you get to this one whether it's here on Wednesday evening or you hear it tomorrow Thursday, the dream preview will be out Thursday morning. All right. I've heard this a lot too. So when you say this is wrong, I'm I'm curious as to why. Experts tell you to generally avoid Sunday night basically standalone football games to bet. Why do they say that and why do you say they're wrong? Because they're thinking old school that it's Monday night football and I'm going to owe my man. And so I'm going to bet three dimes on the side to try to get out of jail. You know, they're thinking just because it's the Monday night football game, I'm going to bet triple or quadruple what I normally bet on the side or total. That I agree with. But where these experts miss the boat is that the menu of options available on a standalone game, Thursday game, Sunday night game, Monday night game, London game if you want to get up early in the morning, typically is so much better than what you'll see on other games. Now, let me pause you. When you say the menu, you do you mean props? Like different? Yes. Okay. Yes. You're going to get, even at books that don't typically deal player props on an average Sunday game, they're going to deal the props on a Sunday night or a Monday night football game. So there's so much more to bet on that it is really unusual that with a, a bigger menu of options that I don't find some select really good bets. And, and then once the game starts, a whole bunch of places that don't typically deal live wagering will deal live wagering on a game. They'll all, you know, even at halftime, many books will expand their menus. Some books will even deal like player props at halftime. There's so much product out there that I got to tell you, missing a Sunday or a Monday night game really, really is a disaster for me in terms of my expectation. That's where my earn is the highest, that three-hour window. But you would agree that the the old-school experts are right, that those are typically a lot sharper lines than – I mean, NFL lines are sharp in general, but there's just so much volume. They're, they're like the On Monday Night Football, it's had so much time to shape up that – it's going to be tighter than a, a normal NFL game even. Yes, the exception being if it's a big favorite, that it wouldn't be unusual that you'd see some extra money on the favorite that could push a Monday night game at 9 to 10 that wouldn't ever go there on a Sunday, by example. I've gotten a lot of questions about this recently, and I, I'm glad that you're going to address it because it's something that you know I'm not great at addressing because I, I, I don't play a lot of these you know, long-term, uh, you know, I guess preseason prop bets for for win totals or or to win the World Series or the Super Bowl or whatever. I like my money to go in that week and come out that week. Uh-huh. That's that's my preference. But and parlay betters have, have have this question quite often. We had a big example, a national example this year, where the guy had the Lions to beat the Packers. I think outright to win his parlay. 
when is the right time to hedge? What's the math say is the right amount to hedge? What, what's your recommendation to players who are looking to hedge? So when you've got life-changing money, so let's assume you're broke. And I'm going to assume the guys, a couple of the guys that, that made bets like the 16-team parlays for $25 or $5, and they're going to pay $700,000. If you don't have any money and you're about to receive $700,000, when you think about it in terms of a utility perspective, how much each dollar is worth, it becomes progressively worth less and less. Example, if I told you you can have $1 million, or I'll give you a 50-50 chance to have $3 million, the correct answer for most people is say, give me the million. Sure. Even though the expectation is 1.5 million, you say, how can that be? And the truth is because that first million dollars is worth so much. Yeah. And then, like um, Gordon Gecko was asked once, you know, how big of a yacht do you need to water ski behind? You know, as, as long as you can basically meet your family needs and the like. So because of that, hedging makes sense in most cases when you're about to win a contest, when you're about to hit a 15-team parlay that you put in on that very last leg. Now, you don't have to hedge the whole way. If you're about to win, by example, 100000 probably a good idea. You know what? Bet back a fourth. Bet like 25000 back is a good rule of thumb. But you often, know, if you're broke, you don't have twenty five k laying around your house. So the truth is, bet every dollar that you can you yeah. beg, borrow, steal from the in-laws, from your employer, whatever you know you can scrape together. And you're right. The average rob person that rob a bank. The average person. <laughs> and, and what I get a kick out of is that these media experts say, oh, well, you could go into a bank and explain that to them how, how that works. And it's like, you have no clue what you are talking about. <laughs> like, you're going to show them this electronic ticket that supposedly is going to pay 100000 as collateral, it's like you're going to have much better luck going to the dollar loan center and getting your, you know, $1,000 and then, you know, whatever you can do, you know, to, to, to cobble together um, everything you can cobble together, maybe it's 7000 and put it all, you know, on the other way. I'm just going to call you. That's going to well, be my and, move. And, and just call everybody. You know, that's <laughs> why it's a good idea. It's one of those situations. It's a good idea to have that safety net in place before it happens. So it's not a bad idea if you've got some people that are, you know, well-to-do friends that say, you know, just by the way, it's possible I may, on a Monday, one day, like kind of like the Godfather, I may call upon you for a favor. Would Just to let you know now, that day may never come, but it should have come, here's why, and just have that in play. Yes. Is that the, I mean, so if it's life-changing money, is that the only time you're looking to hedge? No. The second time to hedge is when you actually like the other side. This actually happens. Or like you feel like you're going to lose. Like you the, feel like this is a losing bet that you're on. Uh, yes. Yes. So yeah. you'll, and in that case, you would like the yeah. other side. So, you know, as, as an example, um, let's say I bet a, a small, a three-team parlay, all right? And I took a minus two and a half on the Monday night game, and that line has steamed up to three, and there's a couple three and a halves, all right? And I thought the line should be three. And the parlay's going to pay 3000 Well, there's no reason for me not to bet 1500 back the other side plus three and a half, such that I'm indifferent and I'm going for the middle because I like that three and a half bet anyways. I would have made that three and a half bet anyways. So why hold back, keep betting it until I'm indifferent? So if, I, if the, my parlays were going to bring in 30000 well, I should bet 15000 on the plus three and a half because... Both have positive expectations, and there's no reason to hold back. And worst-case scenario, you're, you're coming out up either way. Yes. Now, where the—I think people hedge way too much. And, like, the, one of the biggest mistakes—hey, we got handicappers that do this, and I vehemently disagree with them, but they don't, they don't care. So they keep doing it. Like, they'll give out a two-team, like, 
two big money line parlays. They'll play, during the regular season, they'll say, play the Yankees and then play the Red Sox, all right, as, as big money line. The Red Sox game's like the Sunday night game. So the Yankees crush, and then the Red Sox, they're in a great position because they got the first leg of their parlay, and they got the Red Sox in a, in a parlay minus 220, but it's essentially, you know, like even money because the Yankees already won. And then they'll be like, well, play the run line back the other way. Sounds clever because now if the Red Sox win by one, you win both bets and you're locking in a profit. But the problem with it is that you're no, I would argue you're locking in a loss in many ways if the line hasn't moved because, wait a minute, 12 hours ago you liked the Red Sox. So if you like the Red Sox on the money line, that means you probably like them on the run line also. Or you should have because most run lines and money lines are priced correctly in terms of um, the odds that they're giving. But now all of a sudden you like the Orioles plus one and a half because you must like the Orioles because you're betting them plus one and a half. It's not possible that that can be a plus EV bet. So you're giving away some of your profit by playing back. And I would strongly discourage you making any bets like that. Now, this is timely for you because... You had a season-long bet that is it's coming to a head now with the L.A. Dodgers. Yes. So I took the Dodgers plus 350 to win the World Series. So it turns out it would have been a great bet if the Dodgers won the division. They didn't. So now it's a, probably a, it's a bad bet. All right. And they're playing St. Louis, winner take all. Game what's, what's the current odds for L.A. to win the World Series? You know, I think it's right still around. Mackenzie, can you verify are they still right around plus 350? So they've just they've basically uh, clogged up your money for the last yeah, several months. Yeah, but when I bet at plus three fifty, it was like a really good bet. Now I'd argue it's a really bad bet. Okay, okay, because you know the the the, the Dodgers got injured over the course of the year. They still won one hundred six, but the fact that they didn't get to win the division that's a major problem. But the point is that the Dodgers are an ultra public team. All they do is win, so they're over a two to one favorite against St. Louis. So it's time to play back because I like St. Louis in this game. I, if I had nothing on the Dodgers, I would bet St. Louis anyways. So it's time to play back and, and kind of be indifferent about the outcome. Now, do you like St. Louis because you feel like they're going to win the game or you like St. Louis because you like the odds that they're getting to win the game? I like the odds that they're getting. I think St. Louis will win this game right about maybe 34% of the time, and they're getting a little more than 2-1. to one. But I think that the run line is actually the better bet. So this is an interesting hedge. I can hedge. Uh, the true hedge is just bet St. Louis and get, like, plus 205 on the game. Or I can play the run line plus 1.5 and get them at e I got them at even money. And because the total is low at 7.25, I see a real good chance for a one-run game. I played the run line. Not because I'm greedy and I want to win both ways, but because, you know, the 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 – the run line has so little implied vig in it. You can play plus one half. Like I said, I got an even money. You can get minus 105 is easy to find. If you wanted to play the other side and lay one and a half, you could get that like at minus $1.12. So there's very little juice or vig in that. Whereas on the side, on the money line, you have to lay like minus 235 if you back the Dodgers, but you only get 205 on St. Louis. There's too much of a bid-ask differential. I don't like betting into markets that have huge bid ass differences and thus I landed on the money line so I did bet St. Louis on the uh, on the run line. Did you consider splitting it between the two? I in, in in an ideal world if I would have had access to matchbook for instance where I didn't have to pay any vague at all, I probably would have split it more like 50-50, but because that I couldn't get anything close to what the matchbook number was on the money line, but I could on the run line, I said, "Nope. Oh, the run line's the better bet." 
Now, is this going to, I mean, do you still have a hope on, like, do you still, with your plus 350, did you did you hedge enough that you still hope that the Dodgers win this thing, or? Yeah, well, I hope the Dodgers win by one tonight, but but no, I didn't hedge the, I didn't hedge the entire thing. I probably should have, because I do like St. Louis, so if that's a plus EV bet, I should have kept going until I was pretty much indifferent, but as it turned out, um, I've got about three units on the Dodgers to win the World Series, and I played two units on the run line. But I guess also, you've got to now you've got to fade like I mean even if you win this bet with the Dodgers there's still more to go right the Cardinals but, could be an immediate win right but remember if I lose the Cardinals bet I would have lost anyways because I would right. have made that bet anyways even if the Dodgers weren't playing so from that perspective I probably should have played the whole three units back on on St. Louis tonight maybe I underhedged a little bit maybe later this afternoon I'll get a a good number that'll pop up and I'll and I'll get fully hedged. Let's talk about bet sizing for a moment. Moment. What's your what's your go to? And and let's let's talk about like what's yours and then what's your recommendation for someone who's getting started. Okay, so someone getting started bet the same on every game because you're going to be at a disadvantage and you're going to lose. If you ask me, what's the optimal bet when you're playing roulette? The minimum zero, <laughs> and then if you have to play roulette, bet five dollars. The minimum. Um, so it's a good rule of thumb for beginners to bet flat. But I hear pros talking about this, pros, and they're like, well, you know, f- flat betting is, is generally, you know, the right way to go. And that's absolutely the wrong way to go. Every pro I know has a bet every now and then during the course of even a week. We're like, oh, I can't believe how good this I'm bet is. You, a swing. You texted me one. You get find out a quarterback's out for yeah. a team. You know, it's like if you know a quarterback's out for a team and nobody else knows, that's time typically to step it way up. And even like, if unfortunately you're, those are lower limit games. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, but, 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 but nevertheless, like that's a game. What was, what was that game? That was the uh, Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin game. You could have gotten down 30,000. Oh, really? Blinking. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, because that was, um, you know, actually maybe that's maybe I might be exaggerated. You could have gotten down 10,000 okay. without blinking, you know, just with, you know, with, with, with different outs. Um, but the, you know, I'll use an example. One Super Bowl, one of the books had a prop, Who's going to receive the opening kickoff? So they had the coin toss, and we learned that the whoever it was, the Pittsburgh Steelers, were going to get the opening kickoff. I knew they were going to get the opening kickoff. They didn't take the prop down? They didn't take the prop down because they had all the props <laughs> up, and they didn't take the props. And they put all the props down when the game started. I bet it. And, and, and I actually thought to myself, you know, I'm going to get barred if I bet this. It's a 100% bet. And I said, no, I'm not going to get barred because whoever make, is making this mistake isn't going to tell his boss he made this mistake because he doesn't want to get, get fired. fired. So it's going to fly under the radar because of that. And I was right. So I bet it. I got paid. No problem. Just it went into the the big amalgamation of all the prop bets of the 400 prop bet results. And no one was the wiser. But yeah, I know I obviously that's an extreme example. Sure. But, you know, there are examples all the time. Prop bet and Super Bowl. Who's going to punt first? Well, if you get the ball first, you. Got a good chance to punt first. That's a really good bet. And just, you know, bets like that do come around. You're watching the NBA and you're watching a Mets game and DeGrom pulls a hamstring trying to beat out a bunt single. All right. So, um, you know, just throwing out examples. And obviously, if DeGrom's not pitching and it's the second inning, it's probably going to be a really good bet to bet against the Mets. Probably going to be better than whatever model that you ran through that told you the Royals had 12 cents of value as opposed to some tomato cam coming in from the Mets versus DeGrom, the greatest pitcher we've ever seen. That makes a lot of sense. So what? what's – as you – 
you know, as you got more advanced, what's your bet sizing now? Do you have a, a one, two, three, four, five? How do you do it? One to twenty. One. To I try. 20. I try not to like go like too crazy, but like my pet peeve, and I do this with, with a lot of guys that I bet for, and and they bet for me, and and I tell them I don't ever want to get a text again from you that has information. Degrom's out. I think you should bet against the Mets. I'm like f you. I want a text that says Degrom is out and you have a dime on the uh, uh, on Pittsburgh in oh, that game. I apologize. I'm yeah, not, I'm still I mean, not doing no, it no, right. no. You're you're new. You're new. You're new at this. But you, <laughs> but, but but I have like one guy that's like the king of telling me stuff like this, and I'm like, stop. Because I'm. I mean, I yes. In an ideal world, it's like we're playing telephone operator. It's it's it, 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 it's like stop being so worried that maybe you might make one bet that I don't like. Bet, bet, bet. I'm a, I text them. Bet, bet, bet. How much? Guys will text me. How much do you want? I will respond a zillion. Thank you. Don't <laughs> if you get over ten thousand, let me because the bet's so good and with, right. with, with the information. Um, now, obviously, oh, I like the 49ers this week. I got you ten thousand. That's that's not the sort of information that I want. Like right. a jumbo bet on. Yes, uh, you're talking about information that's not widely available to the market. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and if you know it's going to become available and it's almost a lock that the line is going to move. Technically, you should really bet your half of your bankroll because if you know a line's going to move five points and you can just play back, it's a free middle. you got no risk if you're certain that the line's going to move back in, in the other direction. One of the interesting topics that you had written down of, of things we were going to discuss today was why pros have little or no respect for handicappers. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you expound on that. Oh, this one drives me crazy. And every time a game lands on the number, you always hear, oh, Vegas, these guys are so sharp, and Vegas knows more than everyone else. Vegas knows everything. And we use you know, that WNBA All-Star game total was the shining example of why Vegas knows nothing because they they one shop opens up a total of 248 circa and a clever sports better says you know what it should be like 200 it should be like 180 because um of the format of the game which I won't even go into yeah. I'm going to bet you. over 248 just to fool everybody so and freeze everybody so they bet over respected winning better circa moves up to 250 and a half for 251 and then people start copying and throwing up 251s, and they start just gobbling, just like a Pac-Man, eating dots. Oh, boy. Slowly but surely, and the total just keeps falling throughout the day. But, like, if that game, and there was, there was one college basketball game, like, 10 years ago, where one bookmaker um, goes, I think it was bookmaker, Chris put up the wrong number on a Duquesne total. And they, it should have been the game above it was 128, but they made Duquesne 128 when it should have been 148. And then all day long, money just kept pouring in on the over. Everyone copied the 128, even though it was, you know, completely wrong. So um, whenever I hear the respect for the odds makers, I, I, I can tell you that 95% of the books in, in play have no odds makers. They have odds copiers. They don't have one guy. I mean, again, um, you know, Brad Powers is, is an odds maker. And, and if you talk to him in private, he'll just shake his head and he'll just say, you know, Fez, not one of these books in town has ever asked me, you know, would they like to hire me, you know, to help set their lines, even though – I consistently go through their entire board and just and just wreck them, you know, like betting stuff that's off by six points. Well, as an English major, I want to say the metaphor that is Vegas thinks Vegas knows is not just the bookmakers, the cockroaches. It's also the collective wisdom of great such as Brad Powers and may I say the great Steve Fezzik as well. All of us are what we make what Vegas thinks, in my opinion. 
Well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, the truth is, is that the wisdom of crowds is very strong. And I said, don't respect the odds makers, but respect the odds. You know, Hell yeah. three days later, who cares at this? Who cares at Resorts World? I wouldn't let those guys run my lemonade stand. All right, <laughs> in terms of a sports book. Well, now that they've gotten to see where all these bets are coming in and the like and the movements, Resorts World is a bad example because they have like a fifty dollar limit on their app. But you know, just just a typical book like the Golden Nugget or Treasure Island or the like. You know, they've gotten enough bets and they and they're looking at the screen. They're seeing which way the numbers are going. So at that point. Now I got to start having respect for what the number is because it's the betters that are hammering it into place. But if the gold nugget puts up a line of 10 and everybody has six, my reaction is, Oh, the gold nugget knows something. No, no. Yeah. They, 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 they typed <laughs> in the late. wrong number. Yeah. They typed in the wrong number and I'm taking plus 10 and then they're going to kick me out. Or their guy took a lunch break at the wrong time yes. or something. Yes. Uh, n- now do you, do you have more of a respect for the books like Circa that are actually like taking the, like kind of putting their balls on the line and originating Absolutely, some numbers? Absolutely. Because the originators like Circa go ahead and stick their necks out and are the ones who are actually doing the work. And of course they're going to make mistakes. I would make mistakes. It's, a, it's an impossible task to get all these numbers right. So I have much more respect for Westgate and Circa, you know, originating the numbers. I do get a kick. There's like some local shows in town um, that talk about, you know, all oh, the lines that they're going to set on Monday morning. And, so, and, and, and it's amazing how um, the lines that they set always seem to match what the number that the current market is because they've learned through trial and error. You know what? Have that show Sunday morning before everyone else puts your lines up. And all of a sudden, you know, this like debating about a quarter point here or there, it's going to go in the trash can because they'll get, you know, a ton of them. I assure you very, very wrong. How much respect do you have for the MGM? You know, the MGM disappointed me. (laughs) So this past, uh, just a couple days ago, I go in, they've got season win numbers. I'm like, I'm I'm excited. On the NFL? Every NFL team. They got got the season wins. So I go and get a printout. I take a look through it. Spot a bet I really like. And I go, "Eh, can I have 4,000 on this? Like, need a player's card. Like, no problem. Whip it out. Hand them my player's card. They punch it in, and they go, nickel limit, 500. So you, and I, I, I see their point, their perspective, that they don't want to take a big bet from me. But look at it from my perspective. You're asking me for my player's card. You're asking me, like, to come. I'm basically telling them. They're employing me now to tell me what number they have off. Don't give me a nickel. Anyone gets a nickel. You know, the anyone off the street who has no player's card is going to get $500 on that bet. So now I have no incentive to go be the one to go down there and bet it myself. And I have every incentive to have other people bet it who can get bigger limits, a lot bigger limits. You know, at least give me a dime. Give me, you know. Yeah, that is odd. So what, did they move the number that you, uh. 30 cents. Oh. Yeah. So now I basically destroyed the number against myself to get to win $500. But you can see, I can see the, the bookmaker's perspective. Perspective, but they got to see the better's perspective. And my w- the last thing I said before I left was just make sure you get all the other numbers right. Yeah, you know, going MGM, forward, that's a, that's disappointing to hear. Yes. But what are you going to do? Uh, now these sports betting contests, you say, and I, I saw your your tweet this morning about how listen, you feel like you're you're doing pretty well, but you almost it's not good enough. Like it, it, it's like a poker tournament. You can you can be patient and wait to make your move. With this, there's there is a, an amount that you can fall behind, and there's just no there's no all in that can double you up. Yes. So in a poker tournament, the old chip in a chair concept that as long as you have one chip left, you can still win the tournament. And if you're chipping up each and every um, 
session such that you start with 10,000 in chips and then you got 15,000 at the end of day one, eh, you know, you might be a little bit below average. You're fine. All right. You're going to have to make a move. But it doesn't work that way in sports betting contests. If you're hitting 55%, like a third of the way through the year, you're in really dire shape. Even if you're at 60% halfway through a year, you're almost eliminated from being you know, from the top prizes. And you're like, how can that be? You're massively exceeding expectations. But the pay structure is so good at the top, and it's not a poker tournament. You don't, you don't get to double up, and, and the guy loses half his, his chips to you. You don't have time to catch up such that if you asked me, like a lot of people say, I would just take three and two at the end of week one. I hear that all the time. Week one's hard. I would take three and two. Well, yes, three and two exceeds your expectations, but it still sucks big time because three and two, you have negative equity in all your contests. If you're a quarter of the way through the, through the season and you're at sixty percent, which I am with some of my entries, I would say that is negative equity. I'm exceeding my expectations, but I'm now so much less likely to win the entire tournament or finish top five with a crappy sixty percent against four thousand people. Because there's a lot of people who may may not be nearly as good as you but are just off to a hot start. They could be at 70-something percent, and now all they've got to do is play slightly worse than you, and they're still ahead. Yeah, what was that sci-fi movie with the bugs, where the bugs are like storming stormtroopers? Sto- uh, Starship troopers. Starship troopers. You know what? When you got like 400 bugs that are right on t- upon you, you can have the best ray gun in the world. You're going to get smashed. You should have just said, what's that movie with Denise Richards' boobs in it? Then I would have I would have come up with the... You know, I feel bad. Denise Richards has been cut off from alimony as of today, so I feel... Oh, poor gal. Charlie Sheen's gain is Denise Richards' loss, and so, but I'm sure she'll be just fine. <laughs> Hashtag losing. Um, <laughs> but, last, last topic we'll cover here on, on this uh, the Fezzik Focus pod. Uh, something that I mean, McKinsey and I talked about this the other days, and it's something that I personally don't do. I, I I limit myself. I've found what I know, what I don't know. I used to like. I think when I was when I was like kind of starting out betting, I wanted to have that action. You feel that rush. You always want to have something going. And then I started to realize, wow, year over year, I keep losing betting Major League Baseball. And honestly, I. Major League Baseball is one sport where I feel like you spend more time handicapping umpires and things like that than anything. Like it's it just there's so much squeeze and just not enough juice for me. So I was like, I'm out on that. I was losing the NBA. I cut that. Everything else has improved for me because and I'm not like a specialist, I wouldn't say, but I bet college football, NFL, college basketball and fighting. And that's pretty much it. And my betting's just gotten better since I cut out trying to bet things that I don't. I don't win at how for you, this is your job. You're a pro better. I, I, I mean, I assume it's hard to just take the whole summer off, but how do you, how do you limit, you know, not putting too much, too much into, into too, too many things. And then you get no return on any of it. Oh, I outsource the vast majority of it in terms of, I've, I've got experts in college basketball and NBA, and I might follow a couple select teams. All right. But the problem and being, this is actually a problem with being on the radio every every day and having to talk Lakers and having to talk Clippers and having to talk Sixers is the time that you spend on that probably isn't going to get you very far in terms of making winning bets. It might, it certainly will get you a couple, but it is such a time suck and probably the best bets that you're going to find are going to be bets on the more the under the radar and NBA teams that people like the Charlottes that people aren't following as much. Um, and even so, the you look at the NBA market, how much time are you going to spend to get, call it 30 teams, MLB, 
NBA, NFL. All right, so there's 100 teams. Hockey, there's 30 more teams, roughly. So you got like 130 teams. So, so if I spend two minutes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to do extensive handicapping. I'm going to spend four minutes per day, <laughs> you know, on those 100-plus teams, all right? You see where I'm going. Yeah. It's not nearly enough to spend four lousy minutes a day on each team. Now I'm spending five hours a day. Handicapping. These are just pro. I'm not even. I'm not even betting a tennis match, a golf match, or any collegiate sports. It is just not possible to do that much. You, you, you know, in in depth betting. And now, if you look at like in the NFL, you say, well, you only fall in 30 teams. Um, you know, 32 teams. But um, in the NFL, you're also if you're prop betting, now you're following 32 quarterbacks and you're following 64 running backs and you're following, you get the idea, you know, the 96 wide receivers and and with all the prop bets and everything else, the bottom line, the vast majority of people, they take one sport, just one. Football is not a sport. Take NFL or take college football and bet one or the other. Use an example. When does college football, when do the openers come up? Great. Sunday morning. (laughs) You're busy. 10 a.m. I'm sorry, 11 a.m. Yes. And I'm massively. I can't bet those. You know, yeah. I if I get a text, hey, bet bet Bowling Green, you know, minus thirteen. I can bet that for my college football expert. You know, in the midst of what I'm doing, but um, to try to do both at once, you just wind up being lousy at everything. So, um, you know, the 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 truth is is that I rely on a whole bunch of people in college football, and I live bet all day, and some, and oftentimes I'll see things when I'm live betting that are a little bit under the radar that I can say, wow, you know, based upon what I'm seeing from this team, you know, that's a team. I, I, an example is um, I bet North Texas against Louisiana Tech because Louisiana Tech's quarterback is out and North Texas covered and they're God awful bad. And it's just played a terrible game, still covered just because the La Tech backup quarterback's bad. So now I feel like, all right, I know what more than the market does about North Texas. North Texas stinks. All right. I uh, j- not having even watched the game, but just knowing the circumstances and the fact they got down twenty four nothing to a backup quarterback, I know that is a team I'm probably going to make money betting against each and every week. Just as an example, so now I feel like I, well, I know more about North Texas than the marketplace does because they're going to look at it and say, well, they hung in there against La Tech. That's pretty good, you know, when when they're doing their cursory um, handicap, but. I only have that intimate knowledge about one North Texas game <laughs> where someone else has it about every right. game if they're really digging into it. Uh, I wanted to do two things with you. I noticed uh, your power rankings. You moved the Bills to number one in the power ratings, and I don't know that I disagree. I, I, I think this team has gotten so much better defensively that now, mind you, they, they've played some bad offenses, but they've they've looked really sharp defensively, and the offense isn't quite what it was a year ago, but it's not far off. I feel like you may be you may be jumping on them at the right time, and I'm curious what your expectations are for them going forward, because I looked at their schedule today, and I'll, this is a little sneak peek to the dream preview. I like the Bills against the Chiefs this week. After this Chiefs game. Titans, Dolphins, Jags, Jets, Colts, Saints, Patriots, Buccaneers, Panthers, Patriots, Falcons, Jets. I I mean, this is a team that could win 13, 14 games, and they've already got one loss on the books. Yeah, let's see what their their season win number currently is 12 and a half, shaded to the under. So so is that the highest? That is the highest right now in the NFL. Uh, Right now, I have the Bills the number one team. 
and I was debating this with the hitman in terms of who is more likely to win the Super Bowl, Kansas City or Buffalo. And I was saying, you know, Buffalo may not be the best team at the end of the year. All I'm doing with my power ratings, who's, who's, who's the best right team today? And it's close. But based upon the body of work and, and you know, you could look back. Yeah, the losing to Pittsburgh is bad. But um, Pittsburgh didn't have all those defensive injuries that they, they wound up having weeks two and three when they played week one. And they, there was the block point. You, well, you documented that. Yeah, and listen, I mean, Green Bay, they if you just go back to week one, you're going to be like, oh, they can't be good now because they got blown out by the set. Like, everybody's going to have these data points to go, oh, what about that one? I, I mean, it's one game. And... Again, I, I think that it was a, a game that I thought the Bills outplayed the Steelers in that game, but they, they lost. They lost. I, I think you're right on with these guys. I, I think but the plus three really was never widely available. No. I would have given it out if it was widely available, but I bet it plus three. I bet it plus three as well. But it was at just a few books, and now it's hovering at two and a half with some plus three lay 20. Maybe it comes back. There's some support for Kansas City. But this is really the classic. People be like, like how can you lo- really like a game plus three? And you are pretty much indifferent at it at two and a half. Indi- totally indifferent. Don't even lean that way. And my response is because 10% of the time exactly, Kansas City's gonna win this game by three. So if so um if you know if, if you look at it, I can say 45% of the time it's gonna fall on each side of the tail. All right. That's that's a, b- a bad example. I could say um 50% of the time um it's gonna fall that Buffalo um covers. And then I'm going to steal 10% push if it lands three, and I'm going to lose 40%. So I'm going to go five, four, and one, taking plus three if I bet it 10 times. Now I'm going to go five and five. It's no good anymore, even though it was a really good bet, you know, at uh, at plus three. Yeah. So the other, that leads me into the other thing I wanted to talk to you about because the other week when we talked about teasers and how uh, nobody wants to hear about teasers, everybody knows go through three and seven. A lot of people tweeted me and said, hey, Maybe you can ask Fez what are the best teaser legs to look at in, in a given week, and what are if there's one that f- would go through three and seven that you'd look to avoid. Yeah, the road favorite through the three and seven is the most dangerous, and I'd I'd say it's more dangerous too if you're seeing a lot of support for the home dog. It's a bad example because it closed six, but like you look at the Jets Tennessee opened eight, and it was down to seven and a half and dropping. So there's an example of a teaser you could have said at the time, midweek, hey, tease Tennessee, seven and a half down to one and a half, it meets the criteria. But if you're following the line movement, you can say, you know, this may well go go to seven or even south of seven. This is one I got to be very concerned about whether I want to play this one or not. You know, Giants, New Orleans, same thing happened. The line dropped from seven and a half. Basic teaser um, strategy would be would say lay it with New Orleans. But then when the game kicks off at seven, and seven is not seven and a half. You should not be looking to tease sevens down to ones typically. Um, just if you just forget being too cool for school and trying to tease four and a halves to ten and a halves, threes to tens, teasing through the zeros, any sort of tease that isn't you're not getting the full three and the full seven is fraught with danger. And ultimately, if you're laying more than eleven to make ten, you're gonna wind up losing playing those, even if you pick some selective good ones. Just tease through three and seven and all things being equal, avoid the road favorites on high total games, and you should come out just fine. So it looks like the the candidates this week that could get you through three and seven are the Seahawks, uh, that they are the, the Thursday night game. Um, and it looks like the, oh, I, yeah, the the, uh, the Browns would be one of those. The football team 
would be one of those. Football team sitting at plus two, Browns at plus one and a half. I think money's going to come on the Saints when people really look at the injury report. I'd be careful teasing Washington right now. And then those Buffalo Bills fall into that category. So is there two is there two legs of those teams that you'd like the best and there's one maybe you're like, I, eh. I like Seattle enough to be able to take liberties with some others, all right? Um, so because I like Seattle, the problem with Buffalo is that the total is 57. Do I really want to tease a 57? Right. You know, because there's more volatility associated with that. Uh, the Vikings are nine. You can tease the Vikings down to two and a half and a six and a half point teaser. Probably the Vikings and New Orleans would, uh, I'm sorry, the Vikings and Seattle would make the most sense, I think, in your teaser right now. McKenzie says 38 primetime games in Russ Wilson's career. He's lost by nine plus twice, never lost by nine plus at home. So he keeps it close in primetime. That's one thing you could say about Russ. So, so. we know McKenzie's just bet his entire bankroll. He's, on. He <laughs> is throwing down, baby. I save some for the cab to go pick up the money later. You know, <laughs> you know, the beauty of that is that you can just throw in all your Thursday teasers with maybe with some stuff that's not quite as strong like Washington. Because Seattle carries the day that Washington, that Seattle seems like such a strong leg to utilize that you can get, you can go ahead and get your teasers and and play right away. You know, and, and whack them all out. Yes. All right. That, that'll that do it for episode, the week five of the Fezzik Focus. I guess it's not episode five. We figured mm-hmm. this out week two, but this is going forward. We're going to do this every week before the dream preview. Appreciate you taking the time and coming in. Uh, one question I have for you. Okay. Like, like I want to know about, Ooh. about, I want to know about college football. Georgia and Alabama, is is it done? Are they? It's done. It's, it's done. They're, it's going to be one of those teams almost for certain. I think almost for certain. And I, I, reg- I think it's now down to like minus 260 or something like that. But it, there was a, early in the season, there was Georgia, Alabama versus the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I said last year after Alabama won the championship that I thought Georgia was going to win the championship this year. And now that I've said that, and, and I should have bet it then at 10 to 1. Uh, because obviously you're not getting that now. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know who's better. I don't know who has a better chance of winning. I, I think there's some limitations to to Georgia's offense as far as being able to throw the football. Like you don't like to have question marks at quarterback. And JT Daniels is fine, but he's not a guy who's going to like put a game on his shoulder and go win it for you. Whereas I think Bryce Young can do that. But is Alabama's defense as strong as Georgia's? No, it's not. It's not even close. And then it comes down to. Do I like do I like Kirby Smart as much as I like Nick Saban? And mm. I, I think there's it's really interesting. I'm looking forward to those games so much, but I can't even come up with a third team that warrants discussion at this point. You know, I wanted to ask you about one specific game. It shows how the narrative can change because I thought that that Georgia win against Clemson was so impressive. What a great win for Georgia! Yeah. And now I look back, and that's, that's almost, their worst data point. Exactly. Is that amazing? <laughs> that wow, they 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 got a pick six, and they and they only you know won by a little. How about this? That's Clemson's best data point. Mm-hmm. Still, I, I mean that that's pretty wild to think about too. So yeah, it, it is funny how you know some perspectives will change after a few weeks. But yeah, those two teams seem miles ahead, and there's still discussion about who's going to make the playoff if Cincinnati's going to make the playoff. We had some discussion on this on the college football pod yesterday. I I made a case that I think BYU is more deserving if they go unbeaten than Cincinnati is because BYU is going to have played seven power five games. Cincinnati will have played two. The, the, the bottom line is that I've seen this movie play out so many different times that that win against at Notre Dame will be forgotten like tears and rain. <laughs> it will just be forgotten. And when they're going to try to like say, hey, our win over SMU is, is impressive. 
it's not going to matter. Some some sad sack Big Ten team with a loss is going to like like vault so far above, like even like a one loss Iowa team. Um, and a one-loss Ohio State team are both going to just fast-forward right past Cincinnati. And deservedly so, because, I mean, Ohio State would have wins over Michigan and Michigan State yes. and Penn State and presumably Iowa. Like, their one loss would be to Oregon. Like it, it's, it, it makes sense, like, when you play a tougher schedule. But I, I said, maybe this is the year that you throw them a bone. Because, o- only if everybody has two losses. Because you know that playing Alabama or Georgia is just a, oh. a sheep to slaughter. So you say, okay, okay, group <laughs> of five, here's your big chance. We're going to let you, here you go. You get to play Alabama uh, and and watch how that ends up. And then going forward, that narrative becomes, you know, we let a group of five team in once and look what happened. What 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 is Bama against Cincinnati, like minus 21? Probably close to that. Mm-hmm. And that's my number, and I would bet against my number and take mm-hmm. Alabama. <laughs> sure. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fez, appreciate it. As always, appreciate you guys listening. Thank you, McKenzie. Thank you, Brad. We will see you guys later. Hey.